Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Call It A Comeback Podcast. My name is Bobby McGinnis, and today I am missing my co-host, Tom Spallone. He is on his way to the Yankees-Red Sox wildcard playoff game, but I have two guests with me today. Eddie Stankowick, you've been on the show before. How you doing? I'm great, Bob. I'm so glad to be back. Uh, how you doing today? Great. It's glad to have you back. And to the left of me, I have Colin Nozick, a diehard Boston fan, so uh, this should be interesting. Colin, how you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, playoff baseball is back in Boston. Not much more you can ask for. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get into it. But first, I want to talk about uh, this weekend in football. We saw a lot of exciting games. Colin, your team played Sunday night. Patriots put up a fight against Tom Brady in his uh, return to Foxborough. It was uh, definitely a fun game to watch. I think the Pats played them well. Uh, the only thing that was a little disappointing was from the production value standpoint of it. Um, didn't stop the game, really, for Brady's breaking the passing record. Nick Foles, Nick Folk, excuse me, missed that field goal right at the end. I kind of wish he made it so Brady could have that 55-second game-winning drive in Gillette. That's I think it would have been better for TV, but all in all, it was a great game. Uh, one of few good games. There were not really many this weekend, but that was one of them. Yeah, I mean, um, I know that they did stop the game uh, in person for Brady's uh, record, that is, but they didn't do too much on the television, like broadcasting side. I thought that that was kind of interesting. I'm not sure why they chose to do that. They actually didn't stop it. Brady had to call his own timeout just because they didn't have the right <laughs> personnel out there, and then they determined during the timeout that he broke the record. Right. And I that think, was that. I think also... Um, and the ball was marked a yard short, and then during that timeout, they marked it a yard forward and then put it up on the big screen that he had broken the record. And I mean, it doesn't bother me too much because everyone knew he was going to break the record that game. I mean, it was obvious. His return to Foxborough, he was so close anyways coming into the week. So, uh, Eddie, you want to talk a little bit about uh, the, that Ravens game? We saw Ravens-Broncos. Baltimore uh, came in, and, and they showed up the Denver Broncos, who – uh, haven't lost yet until coming into this week. And we saw a little bit of a controversy there at the end when um, Jim Harbaugh chose not to uh, take a knee there and chose to run run the ball and go for the record for consecutive games over 100 yards. What were your thoughts on that? Well, uh, yeah, I'll start out with talking about uh, just the game in general. Um, the Denver Broncos are consistently, every year, my least favorite football team to watch. They always have a pretty good defense, which can hold the other team's offense in check, and then just consistently just an atrocious offense. Um, and Sunday was typical of that again. Uh, the Ravens didn't do anything crazy great on offense. They looked pretty good where they put up 28 points, 24 points around there somewhere. And the Broncos had seven points with their uh, quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, who looked pretty good the first three games getting hurt. And then Drew Locke coming in looking like a backup, looking like someone that's not going to do much in the league. But uh, yeah, at the end of the game, I have absolutely no problem with um, Harbaugh running the ball there with Lamar to get the uh, 100 yards for the game. That's a uh, that's a streak they're on right now. That's their right to do that. Like, I'm not a big fan of these unwritten rules. Like, it's I don't think it's a big problem. They should be allowed to do that. They're going for a goal. Like, personal goals are allowed in the NFL. It's not always just about following the unwritten rules of the game. Yeah, Colin, your thoughts on that? little differing opinion on that. I think it was absolutely the Ravens' right to go for that, but get a look at it on the opposite side. If you are the Broncos and they punish Lamar on a late hit there, would you be looking at it the same way? It, it, I think it was unnecessary and a little dangerous. You kind of put a target on your own back to get lit up in a situation like that. I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think that you know if Lamar takes a big hit there, like you can't complain. But the thing is, the Denver Broncos – 
they got their butts handed to them this game. I had, You can say Teddy Bridgewater got hurt, but that offense looked flat from the jump. And I said it last week on the show, it was Tom and I, we were saying pretenders, contenders. The Denver Broncos are the biggest pretenders in the league. Absolutely agree. Eddie, you said it best yourself. It seems like almost every season they come out strong, and in the first quarter of the season they look like you know such a great team. They played the Jets, the Jaguars, and the Giants. Now they finally play a real team, a playoff team, a team that had over 10 wins last year, and you see what happens. Yeah, they got killed. Um, pretenders. As, as far as that play, I kind of agree with uh, Eddie. I think you have this record going and it's something that you know takes place over multiple seasons i don't have any problem going for it because those guys up front those hog mollies have kind of earned that record and you know if you want to take a knee and just sit on it and be mr nice guy that's fine um but you know the denver broncos vic fangio throwing his his microphone at the end of the game i you should be more frustrated in the fact that they lost not over a a record running the ball five yards versus needing the ball at the end either way thrown his microphone at true locks performance right he should have just been happy to get into the locker room and and call it a week now correct me if i'm wrong though but didn't happen to see the end of the game but i believe they did take one knee with the second team offense and then brought the first team offense back out to get the record i think that's a little bit where fangio's I didn't know that actually. I think I was watching the game, but uh, yeah, that that makes it a little bit worse. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was pretty happy on Sunday. The New York Jets got their first win of the season. Zach Wilson finally looks like the second overall pick. Um, I couldn't be happier in the way that he played. The kid has a hand cannon. I mean, he just winds up. He's directing Corey Davis to just go further, go deep. You can see him point into the end zone and just launches one. Um, right into the breadbasket. He did it multiple times. Keelan Cole came down with a long ball on a third and two in overtime. That takes guts. If the Jets don't complete there, they probably have to punt in overtime, still tied, not putting up points on the board. Although he saw an open receiver, he took a chance downfield, and it really paid off. Don't know if you're going to like this, but instantly thought Jameis Winston watching that whole game. Has some arm talent, but he is going to throw a lot of picks. Does not make very good reads, but when he fits in a tight window, it does look impressive. Yeah, uh, I don't like that at all, Colin, actually. And I'm not sure if you have a little bias there, being a Patriots fan. You know, I know you're rooting for Mac Jones. He's what was it, two touchdowns to nine picks going into week four? I mean, Mac Jones has, I believe, four interceptions now and only four passing touchdowns. All rookies have struggled so far to start the season. But uh, Mac Jones is, I mean, does a good job checking the ball down. I would say he's almost like a 09 Mark Sanchez, you know, he's just a game manager. And, I mean, if that's I guess that's what the Patriots need. They don't really have the team around them to be going for a game manager, but that's what Mac Jones will be. If you're happy with that, uh, that's great. But I, I'd rather go for the guy who's taking the risks and uh, much more of a playmaker. Nothing away from that game that Zach Wilson played this week because he by far had the best rookie quarterback performance that we've seen all year. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, definitely. Mac yeah. Jones did. He did come close in yardage this past week. I believe he had two seventy-five. Mac had a good game, and he week. actually tied Tom Brady's franchise record for the most complete passes in a row with right. nineteen. Like which, I said, five-yard checkdowns. Um, I'll count the same. <laughs> but no, right? Mac Jones has he's played fine to start the season. Uh, Zach Wilson he struggled against the Patriots, but other than that, it looks like he's we're starting to see the upside and the ceiling that you know and the potential that this kid could have. Um, but like you said, all rookies have struggled so far. And that leads me to my next point. Eddie, we were talking about it in, uh, in my room the other day with Tom. And we look at the Bears situation. Justin Fields comes out. He plays a pretty good game. Didn't make many mistakes. Did not throw a touchdown. Only had one interception. Um, he threw the long ball pretty well, though. And, and there's already reports that now that Andy Dalton's healthy, that he's going to get the start next week. What, what, are your, what are your thoughts there in uh, Chicago? 
Well, uh, the first game Fields played was a disaster against the Browns. Um, I didn't think it was particularly his fault. Matt Nagy was only at five down blockers. Um, he was getting pass rushed brutally the entire game. He had no time to throw the ball. And it was a brutal performance from a quarterback. But last week we saw him, even though it was the Lions, that was a drastic improvement. But I don't know if he's there yet. I think starting Dalton for another few weeks isn't going to hurt you guys, the Bears, that much. The Bears aren't in a, like a win-now mode, honestly. Maybe Matt Nagy is a coaches, but they're not really in a win-now mode. If Dalton wants to start a few weeks, it can't hurt Field just learning on the bench. He'll, he'll get his reps. They'll, they'll come. Right, exactly, and especially, like you said, they're, they're probably not going to be playing very meaningful football games down the stretch, and that'll probably take a little pressure off Justin Fields once they're basically eliminated from the playoffs, as yeah, they should be yeah. later in the season. Um, and that might be a better time for him to come in and get those reps. Colin, what are your thoughts about that? Like, You never want to rush a, a rookie quarterback, right? I never want to rush a rookie quarterback. I think definitely has a lot to learn, and I take absolutely no substance from his performance this weekend because Montgomery ran the ball. 23 times for 106 yards and two touchdowns. That was a running attack. Right. They did run the ball very well. Ball, so, yeah. you know, obviously the, the passing stats aren't going to look amazing. Um, however, you did come away with the win. It was the Detroit Lions, but a win is a win. Um, and it always feels good to get that first one under his belt. The Giants also got a victory this week. A really good win, yeah. Yeah, against really the Saints. Um, also came in overtime, uh, just like the Jets game. Daniel Jones, I hate to admit this, but he's actually been impressive this season to start. Uh, definitely against Washington and uh, definitely against the Saints. Yeah, he led the Giants for a combined, for a combined victory. 485 total yards in the game um, for the Giants. That's fantastic. Uh, Jones keep leading them. I think he had 405 yards passing. Right. That's great. Right. And even like the first couple games of the season, although they weren't winning, I wouldn't particularly pin it on Jones. He's not turning the ball over as much as he did years prior, and he's kind of making the, the right decisions. Now, there's some errant throws here and there, um, and watching the game, it can be very frustrating, but I don't think that he's the root of the Giants' problems. So, Colin, I want to ask you this question. If Daniel Jones has, a, you know, we'll say a good season, above average, or at least what we're used to from Daniel Jones, and the Giants, say, have a top-10 pick, do you still go after a quarterback, or do you build around Danny Dimes heading into his then fourth year? Well, the Giants, if they finish bottom 10 in the league, they will have two top 10 picks because they do have Chicago's pick this year, and they will be a bottom 10 team as well. I never thought Daniel Jones was really the problem. It wasn't a turnover problem in general. It was a fumble problem. He does not throw a lot of interceptions. He makes some decent reads, and he's proving that so far. I believe he only has one interception on the season, and he's holding on to the ball when he runs. He's sliding. He's making smarter decisions of when to get hit, when not to get hit. He is not the problem. I'd, I would choose to build around him. The, the problem that I see is I see the Giants falling into a similar situation that the Jets had last year. Uh, Sam Darnold was not the root of the Jets' problems either, and I'll stick to that. He's obviously started the season well with the Carolina Panthers. But, like you said, if the Giants have two top ten picks, they might not ever be in another position like that to go out and get the best possible quarterback in the draft. So, Eddie, do you see, like, a repeat of what happened with the New York Jets? Do you start fresh, or do you, you know, head into that fourth year with a, a quarterback who's going to be looking for a contract soon? Well, this situation is a little different because the Giants, um, they, need, they need an offensive line for Daniel Jones, first of all. And a little, the situation is different because the Jets last year were picking in the top two, and there were two quarterbacks in the top two that were generational talents, honestly. Like Zach Wilson would probably be a first pick in most other drafts. 
And the Giants don't exactly have that this year. The quarterback's coming up like Spencer Rattler, Carson Strong, Leak Willis, Sam Howell. All of them have a lot of question marks surrounding them. And that's tough because if you, as an organization, if you don't think your guy's there, it's hard to pick them. So, yeah, if they don't think there's a guy, there's going to be plenty of guys in the top ten that the Giants could use, especially offensive line. And, Colin, you want to add on to that? I only see the Giants taking a quarterback if they trade out of the top ten. Completely no, agree. None of the talent that is on the board as a quarterback has shown me anything to even be a first-round pick this year, yeah, to be completely I, I honest. The college football quarterbacking has been abysmal this year, to say the least. Yeah. Well, before we move on to baseball, I kind of want to touch on the Philadelphia <coughs> Eagles. Eddie, that's your team. Um, you sent something in our group chat earlier today oh, that yeah. was pretty interesting. If you look right now, obviously we're only four weeks in, but if the season ended today, the Eagles would have actually three picks in the top ten. We would. We, uh, we'd have our normal pick because we're one and three right now. We'd be picking like ninth. And then we got the Dolphins pick because they traded up to the sixth pick in uh, last year's draft pick, Jalen Waddle, and we traded back to 11. And uh, we also have the Colts uh, pick, the Colts from, the pick the yes, from the Wench trade, which we don't definitely have yet. We need Wentz to play about, uh, do you know the? Exact? I think it's 75%. Yeah, 75% of the games. And he's at a snap rate of like 99.2% right now. So the Eagles are on good pace to get that pick right now if, um, as long as Wentz stays healthy, which was never a guarantee. Right. So... Uh, in that case, Eddie, if the Eagles have three first-round picks... They'll, they'll only have two. Uh, the, the Colts are going to turn this season Probably, around. yeah. I do agree with that. Nonetheless, I... All right, so last week, actually, on our podcast, I was the one who was saying, don't panic with the Colts. Uh, actually, they have a very favorable schedule coming up, and I can see them pushing for a wild card. But nonetheless, if they fail to miss the playoffs, that would probably mean that the Eagles have three early picks. Um, not three in the top ten, but three in the you know top 18, 20 that range um what do you do there if you're you know the eagles front office obviously if the eagles have a good pick that means jalen hurts didn't play amazing although he's still you know young where would you like to see them uh hit in the offseason uh well first off the eagles haven't had a good cornerback since like asante samuel maybe that we never have good corners so I'd love to see, like, if you could pick so high, like maybe like someone like Derek Stingley or Kyle Hamilton over at safety, that would be sick if the Eagles get one of those guys. Um, then next, O-line. We've had a good O-line for a long time, but our players are always getting banged up now. Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, um, Lane Johnson, they're always getting hurt now. They're old, and it's time to replace them. We need to address O-line and the secondary in the first top, in the top ten picks. Yeah, that kid Kyle Hamilton's a beast. Yeah, uh, he's sick. He as, might be the top a, three pick. As a Jets fan, I you know after the whole Jamal Adams situation, I would not want my team in particular uh, picking a safety that earlier. But he's one of those hybrid guys that plays up in the box a lot, hard hitter, good coverage. Um, Notre Dame's really lucky to have him. It's a yeah. shame that Notre Dame won't make the playoff this year. Um, Colin, any other uh, thoughts on that before we head over to the wild card matchups? You did mention uh, Jalen Hurts maybe not being the answer if the Eagles are picking top three. I, I do think he's the answer. Seven to two touchdown to interception ratio. He's thrown for over three fifty twice. I mean, he he looks good, and I've wanted to hate on him ever since he's come into the league. But he he's showing some promise, and I don't think you can necessarily step away from him if you're that front office yet. Yeah, Eddie, I know before the season you weren't too high on uh, Jalen Hurts. What are your thoughts on him now four weeks in? Well, I've always loved his uh, mentality as a football player, and I've always thought his like uh, talent was there. Like I just wasn't sure if he was a great NFL quarterback. He's got a great mindset. Like He seems like he's a leader in the locker room. But um, I've been pretty happy with his throwing so far this year. He had a rough game against Dallas. He threw a few bad passes, like got picked off. 
and that was unfortunate. But he turned it around against the Chiefs last week. I think he threw for like 387 yards. He, uh, he had a pretty high passer rating. He, he played well, and he's running for his life every play. We have backup old linemen in right now. He's not getting the help. I don't know how great Nick Sirianni is. I know he's an offensive mind, but his plays haven't been too much better than Doug Peterson's calling. So I don't, I don't think Hurts is the problem right now. I think the O-line is the problem. We need another receiver, and, um, yeah, they need to give Hurts some help. I do have one question for you, Bob. You said uh, last week to not hit the panic button on the Colts yet, and um, – just want to know, is there any team coming into the season that you had high hopes for that you think four weeks in they probably should be hitting the panic button? It's a good question, actually. So uh, last week, Tom and I, we talked about panic, don't panic. And we went through a couple teams like that that we thought were going to be good. <clears throat> and like you said, now we're hitting the panic button. And last week on the show, I said that I was panicking with the Chiefs and I'm panicking with the Seahawks. Uh, more so the Seahawks, just because... Uh, their defense has allowed a tremendous amount of points. They uh, Weeks two and three, 30 points. That's back-to-back weeks against the Titans and the Vikings. <coughs> that just can't happen if they, if they want to be a playoff team. I'm also worried there because Russell Wilson, for the first time this offseason, spoke out against this team. He's usually always backing up the Seahawks. But, I mean, that guy's crying for help, and they just have never surrounded him with help um, as far as the O-line. He has good weapons, but, you know, weapons are, are only so good if you have time to throw to them. And uh, that's clearly not the case there. Uh, I think they have a lot of holes on their defense. So Bobby Wagner, great linebacker. He's starting to get old. Jamal Adams is very one-dimensional. He, very one-dimensional. He's basically a, a blitzing linebacker. He's almost like an edge rusher. If you see him try to drop back in pass coverage, I mean, it's just terrible. I, I believe it was this past Sunday actually he lets up a, a deep bomb um, and I believe it was Debo Samuel I forget who it was and he's just turning around and blaming his other teammates like that can't happen if you want to if you consider yourself a leader on that defense you can't turn around and and blame other people so I'm hitting the panic button on the Seahawks all about himself Eddie it's not about the team if you asked me last week if I would have panicked on the Chiefs, no. Watching Monday Night Football last night, absolutely, that Chargers team is good. Well, that's another thing. you got a they bunch of good, good teams. And I would even say the Raiders are good. They came out flat in that first half, but, man, in that second half, they put up a fight. Uh, they were down 21 nothing, and then all of a sudden, I blink my eyes at the end of the third quarter, it's 21-14. Mm-hmm. And for a second there, you know, if, if Derek Carr can hit rugs on a deep ball once or twice in a game, it could have easily been tied up. Um but nonetheless, Chargers came away with the dub, and they look scary. I also think you got to fear the New Orleans Saints take a step towards the panic button because what inconsistency from this team four weeks in. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely panicking a little bit on the Saints, but the reason why I didn't list them as a team is because coming into the season, I didn't really have the highest hopes for them. Um, either in the same division as the defending champs, and last year they were not a playoff team, so... I'm not really hitting the panic button um, just because I really didn't have big expectations for them, but you're right. It seems like it's going to be a roller coaster ride over there. Just interesting that they can go in and blow out the Packers on a neutral site, blow out New England in New England, and then put up that performance this weekend. Just disgusting. Yeah, it makes no sense to me, honestly, either. They just blew that game, too. They're up 21-10. That's not a Sean Payton-like cogent to me. Right. Well, it's still early in the football season, and uh, – there's still, you know, a, a lot to happen, and I'm sure every week, every Tuesday, we're going to be checking in on it. Let's head over, before we close our show, our second segment here, let's talk wildcard baseball. This is what I brought you guys in for. I got a Yankees fan to the let's right go. of me. I got a Red Sox fan to the left of me. And tonight, we have a huge game. Um, 
Colin, I'll start with your thoughts. What do you need to see from the Red Sox at home in Fenway to get this dub against Garrett Cole and the and the Yankees? I'm going to need to see seven innings out of Nate Ovaldi. There is maybe an arm and a half in that bullpen for the Red Sox that I trust. If you dip into that too early, <coughs> you can't undermanage. You, you are better to overmanage and pull Ovaldi early, but if the Yankees can crack that bullpen by fourth, fifth inning, it'll be a landslide. Yeah, Ed? Uh, I agree with you, Colin. I'm real, as a Yankees fan, I'm hoping to get to Evaldi early because the Red Sox bullpen is not uh, not their strength. The Red Sox, are, I think, believe are a great team. I think they're a dangerous team if they get past the Yankees, but uh, their bullpen is not not it. Matt Barnes collapsed in the second half, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Ad Adovino is all right, right? He's probably your best guy in the bullpen right now. And the uh, the two best bullpen arms, Taylor and. Garrett Whitlock both recently came off IL and haven't pitched competitive innings. Yeah, in I knew Whit- uh, Whitlock. Whitlock's pretty good, but yeah, I, I didn't know he hasn't been good as of recent. But uh, yeah, what I'm looking for from the Yankees tonight is um, Garrett Cole needs to not let up runs early. Garrett Cole's problem all years has been he lets up like a solo homer in the first inning or a two-run shot in the first inning, and then settles down. If we let the Red Sox get ahead and Devaldi's in a groove, it's going to be hard to get out of that groove. Like it's going to be hard to hit. So the key tonight's game is Cole can let up runs early. Um, he needs to have a strikeout ball working, and if that can work, hopefully the Yankees can win. But this game's a toss-up, the best rivalry in sports. Uh, it doesn't get better than this. I'm so excited. I mean, I hate the one-game playoff in the MLB. We were talking earlier, actually, before we went live on the show, saying that perhaps this should be a three-game series. But if you're the Yankees, this is why you signed Garrett Cole. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You pay, you pay him... Three hundred forty million. Um, he's been our most healthy player all year. Probably our best player. Like, right, is what we signed him for. Right, and you can even make a case that he's a Cy Young candidate. Yeah. Um, second, we, probably. Right, yeah. second to Robbie Ray, most likely. But uh, this is why you pay him. This is why you signed him. You need him in one game, and he needs to come up clutch here. But you know, the Red Sox at home. I think they're going to put up a really good fight. I think the matchup you really got to watch tonight is that leadoff spot. Schwarber hitting. In the leadoff spot for Boston for the first time in Schwarber's months. Factor. And Rizzo leading off for the Yankees. Yeah. I mean, that is a very interesting top of the lineup for both teams. And I think that those two lefty bats could actually decide the game as early as the first or third inning when they get up second time through the order. Well, yeah, it's now officially playoff uh, baseball. And it's probably going to be a low-scoring game tonight. We see pitching usually wins uh, playoff games. And we're going to have to – probably neither team wants to rely on their bullpen, I would say, today. Um, however, the Yankees are coming into this game. I'm a little worried because th- their bats, um, they worry me a little bit. They have not been putting up runs like they're supposed to. They couldn't hit Michael Waka against the Rays the other night. Most um, consistent bats in the league, you know, consistently every year. Incons- con- inconsistent is definitely the word, Ed, um, and that worries me a lot heading into tonight's game. Well, yeah. Well, there's two play- there's two players in the lineup that I like to see tonight. Um, I would have liked to see Tyler Wade, but I'm pretty happy with Andrew Velasquez being in the lineup. Velasquez was on the team when we went on the 13-game winning streak, and during that time we were stealing bases, we were bunting a little more, and doing stuff the Yankees don't typically do to win games. So I love to see Velasquez speed out on the base path tonight. But, yeah, the Yankees can't rely on the home run ball. We need players like Glaber Torres to be getting on base. We're going to need a few clutch singles at a Brett Gardner. We're going to need a Urshela to not be swinging at stuff out of the zone. And we'll look all right. I love Higgy getting the start over Gary tonight. I believe Gary is an unstartable playoff player. And, um, yeah, hopefully the Yankees can pull off this game tonight. 
They don't always hit great against Devaldi, but I don't know. I agree with you. It's going to have to be a contact game for the Yankees, not taking anything away from the power that those guys have, but you don't really have that short porch in right field to rely on to just kind of hook something down the line so your lefties in that lineup, Rizzo, Gallo, they're, they're going to have to put the ball in play, find the gaps, hit some contact, and that's how you're going to get to Evaldi is by stringing hits together, not hitting four or five solo shots. Yeah, I mean, if we hit the homers, we do, but it's that's we're not going to win the World Series like that. All right, so let me hear a score prediction from each of you. Colin, I'll start with you. I'm going 4-2 Sox. Yeah. Um, honestly, I'm going to go 5-3 um, Yanks. All right, so both of you um, think it's going to be a fairly low-scoring game. That's probably pretty accurate with the pitcher's matchup that we got. Yeah, expecting um, a big game out of um, – I think Judge, Judge will have a big game. We're expecting a big game out of Brett Gardner, too. Not expecting a big game out of uh, Joey Gallo or Stanton, honestly. Yeah, I was actually looking at um, career numbers versus Evaldi. Uh, I believe Gallo is a career one uh, one for seven against Evaldi. Yeah. So obviously, um, I'm going to favor Evaldi in that matchup. However, Judge has actually hit Evaldi pretty well. I believe it's eight for twenty in his career. Um, that's going to be exciting when yeah. he steps up to the plate. Oh, absolutely. So now let's head over to the NL. Uh, that game is going to be tomorrow. The Dodgers are hosting the St. Louis Cardinals, who went on that crazy run. Um, to get themselves in this position, do they still have enough juice in them to beat the Dodgers, Colin? Uh, they say that history repeats itself, so I believe that they do have the juice to beat that Dodgers team. They uh, they looked like the 2011 Cardinals, who had absolutely no business being in the postseason, got hot, made it, and ended up winning the World Series. And I think it is very reminiscent of that, and I think that they have the firepower to beat that Dodgers team. You know, perhaps even the Washington Nationals that won the World Series only a few years ago, Ed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I'm big on the Cardinals going into this game as underdogs. Um, I think they're I think they're going to beat the Dodgers in this game. Adam Wainwright versus Max Scherzer literally doesn't get better than that. Most baseball fans probably had forgotten about Adam Wainwright, honestly. And then he comes out this year and just pitches fantastic. He's looking like his old curveball. He's he's going great. And I would have I'd rather know like there's not a lot of people I'd rather have on the mound other than Adam Wainwright in this game. But then you look at the other side and you see Max Scherzer and it's the by possible Cy Young winner, one of the best pitchers of our generation. So it's tough, but the Cardinals are hot right now. Baseball is about getting hot towards the end of the season, and I think the Cardinals will be able to pull out this game. They're a more inspired baseball team. The Dodgers are probably thinking they already have this game, and I feel like you got to go with the Cardinals. For me, I'm actually going to take the Dodgers in this one. Um, you talk about being hot. The Dodgers are actually coming off, I believe, seven or eight game win streak heading into this game. They also have absolutely no business being in this wild card game. Not at all. With 106 wins, that would have been enough to win in any other division in baseball. Um, it's pretty ridiculous that you know they're they're hosting this wild one one card playoff game. Um, I think Max Scherzer, he's probably going to win the Cy Young in the NL this year. Uh, I got to go with the Dodgers. I just I can't I can't go against them in a matchup like this. But you guys do bring up some valid points for the Cardinals. They were hot. Wayne Wright's also a great pitcher. Um, I'm just gonna have to lean towards Scherzer at home. The reason why the Cardinals stick out to me is a team that is built to win, built for a possible championship. Is you have a guy like Jack Flaherty in that rotation, who I think is one of the best pitchers in baseball. Goes down. Wainwright steps up. It's all about stepping up when they need it, and I think everyone in that rotation and that lineup has stepped up in the last month of the year and just done what they need to do, put the ball in play, get strikeouts and groundouts for the pitching staff. I, I mean, they are really well built, but you're right. The Dodgers are still the Dodgers. They would have clinched home field if they had that record in the AL. I mean, they have no business being in this game. The problem that I have with the 
with the Cardinals is that it worries me a little bit like we saw the New York Knicks in the NBA this year. Um, they really impressed everyone. They were red hot during the regular season, but they just ran out of juice come playoff time, and they lost to the Atlanta Hawks. The only difference is the Dodgers are not the Atlanta Hawks. They are much better, a much better team. They're the uh, Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah, in respect to their yeah. sport, they're a much better team. So I think the Cardinals, um, they're really going to have to play their best baseball in order uh, to beat the Dodgers. And even if they do play their best baseball, they're going to need a little help uh, from the Dodgers side coming out flat because I just it's a really tough matchup here. I just, I, I just don't see the Cardinals winning, but... I mean, it's baseball. Like we said, one game, anything yeah. can happen. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, the more I think about Scherzer starting for the Dodgers, it's been making me more think the Dodgers will win. Scherzer's just unreal. But I, I love this Cardinals team this year. Here they just look like a bunch of inspired players. I think they can pull it off. Right. Well, regardless, any closing thoughts, Colin? Just want to get a score prediction on that game higher than what everyone else is thinking. I'm going 7-5 Cardinals. I think they're going to start – pinch hitting early in that game, get Scherzer and Wainwright out of there, and I think that the Dodgers' bullpen is not sustainable with that offense. All right, Ed, your prediction? I'm going to go. I think they're going to get to Scherzer early as well. I'm going to go 5-2 uh, Cardinals. Yeah, I'm going to go 6-2. Uh, the over-unders, you know, 7.5, so Vegas knows it's going to be on the lower scoring side. 6-2 um, Dodgers? kind of like that over. I'm going 6-2 Dodgers, yeah. Uh, so... That's the predictions. Boys, we'll have to check back yeah, in we'll next week. In. One, <laughs> we'll of us, see what one of us is going to look stupid, bro. <laughs> right, and it's all being recorded, so yeah. I'll make sure uh, you hear it in the room. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that's been it. This is episode four of the Call It a Comeback podcast. We missed Tom Spallone today, uh, and you know we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you.